This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. It is our great pleasure to be able to tell you that in our second segment today, we'll be speaking with noted science author Sam Keen. He's written a new book. It's titled The Tale of the Dueling Neurosurgeons, The History of the Human Brain, as Revealed by True Stories of Trauma, Madness, and Recovery. We've had a couple of most enjoyable interviews with Mr. Keene previously. He talked to us about his book, The Disappearing Spoon, and The Violinist's Thumb. That is something you should stick around for. Let us begin today's show as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 8th of May. It was on May 8th in 1794 that Antoine Laurent Lavoisier, the French chemist who identified oxygen, unfortunately got guillotined in Paris by the Revolution Convention. I believe we talked a bit about Lavoisier when we spoke to Sam Keen about his book on the periodic table. The French revolutionaries did not think that the science of France would miss Lavoisier, and they were wrong. May 8th, 1886, Dr. John S. Pemberton sold the first Coca-Cola at Jacob's Pharmacy in Atlanta, Georgia. A bookkeeper, Frank Robinson, coined the soft drink's name, and his handwriting is the one used as the Coke trademark. And yes, despite what you may have heard from the Coca-Cola company, it did originally contain cocaine. That was the coca in Coca-Cola. And by the way, to this day, they still use coca leaf extract as one of their natural flavorings. They just decocainize the leaf. But a little bit gets through, so every Coca-Cola you've ever drunk did contain just a little bit of cocaine. Just not enough to have any sort of effect. Moving right along, May 8, 1921, Sweden abolished capital punishment, becoming among the first European powers to do so. Others would follow suit including neighboring Norway, which we mentioned on this program, was so enraged by Vidkun Quisling, the Nazi who took over the country, that <laughs> just for him, they rescinded the ban of death penalty in 1945 just so they could execute his ass. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm okay with that. May 8, 1980, the World Health Organization announced that smallpox has been successfully eradicated as a disease of humans. Now, curiously, mankind has had one more victory over disease since smallpox. That would be the elimination of Kuru, which took place in the year 2005. At least that was the last known case of Kuru. And unfortunately for you, dear listener, although Sam Keen talks about that in his book, we won't talk about it in our interview. So if you want to know more about that, you're going to have to buy a copy, I guess. And finally, on May 8th in 1985, on the 99th anniversary of its rollout, the first ill-fated cans of New Coke <laughs> came out of the Coca-Cola bottling and canning plants. Yes, apparently some genius who was then running the company thought that they could sell more Coke if they made it taste more like Pepsi. And although that was a catastrophic failure, my understanding is that executive is out there somewhere still running corporations. Our quote of the day comes from right-wing nut, welfare rancher, and Fox News hero... Cliven Bundy, who evidently observed last week that the nigra 
may have been better off as slaves, since at least then blacks learned how to pick cotton rather than live on government subsidies. I think we'll let those words just stand on their own merit. Our quip of the day comes from John Kerry, who said last week that Israel risked becoming an apartheid state if it cannot make a peace deal with the Palestinians. Amazingly, Kerry then apologized for his supposedly poor choice of words, to which we would add, risks becoming an apartheid state? Dear listener, Israel is an apartheid state. I've been to South Africa under apartheid, and I've been to Israel under apartheid. One of the two countries dismantled their system. That would be South Africa. I would hasten to add, and this may be a record for the earliest time in the show we've ever done this, that the opinions heard on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Our jokes of the day, first off, come from Argus Hamilton, who said about North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's gentle side, you know, he looks at Dennis Rodman as the uncle he never killed. For his part, Dennis Rodman, I know this is hard to believe, is now claiming that he saw Kim Jong-un's uncle last time he was there, and that he's fine. Did this earn him a trip back into rehab? Well, we don't know. Here's one from Jimmy Fallon a few weeks ago. He noted that after handling the bumpy rollout of the Obamacare site, Kathleen Sebelius announced that she is resigning, which explains why being thrown under a bus is now covered by Obamacare. And from Seth Meyers, we have this one. A Kansas man on trial for first-degree murder wants to remove a tattoo across his neck reading murder because he's worried it might prejudice the jury. Though Meyer adds, he might be able to create reasonable doubt by just adding a question mark. Apparently, Jeffrey Chapman on trial in Kansas for murder, he's accused of shooting a man to death, claimed that his ear-to-ear tattoo would prejudice a jury. He requested a visit to a professional tattooist to have the ink removed. But showing that our judicial system is able to reach out and solve problems, prosecutors and defense attorneys came to an understanding that the defendant would be allowed to wear a turtleneck. Our stat of the day is that more than half of the 2.6 million veterans of the Afghanistan and Iraq wars struggle with physical or mental health problems related to their service. 87% say they are proud of their service, but only 35% believe that both wars were worth fighting. Our anecdote of the day comes from an old copy of K-Deviations, wherein Trotsky and Jarrett interviewed David Hasselhoff, the butt of our closing joke on last week's program. Personally, I thought it was very cool that Mr. Hasselhoff graced KDBS with his presence. He is an enormously popular artist, both as an actor, like him or not, and as a singer, at least in Europe. Hasselhoff came down into the studio at KDBS and was interviewed by Trotsky and Jarrett. Trotsky asked him about his performing in Germany about the time that the wall came down. He noted that his song at the time, Looking for Freedom, had been number one for eight weeks in Germany. And I thought his description of how the wall came down was worth quoting from. According to David Hasselhoff, the way the whole thing happened was it was one of the Russian, I mean, one of the German soldiers in a Russian uniform was asked, when should it open? He said, now. 
Then they all started to go through the wall, and he couldn't stop them and didn't know how to shoot all these people. And he just said, ah, screw it. It's open. Let them all go. And that's how it happened. We're not sure that's how it happened, but it's a hell of an anecdote. We're going to look it up. Yes, Ms. Miller, you might mock Hooked on a Feeling based on the video on YouTube, but, uh, but I think Hasselhoff is a remarkable guy. He developed Baywatch, put it into syndication, got it on more countries around the world, I think 145 than any other show in syndication, and then sold the whole kit and caboodle for $500 million. And McDonald's sells the most hamburgers in the world. What's your point? Well, as Charlie Chaplin once said about Elvis Presley, he has to have something. You can't fool the public. And I guess I should add an addendum to that. One of our favorite quotes about politicians, which is to say that you can fool some of the people all the time and all of the people some of the time and that is sufficient for most purposes. As if Phil Angelides just demonstrated here in our state capitol. All right, let's do a bit of follow-up. We talked about the school in New York that was going to, for $34,000 a year, take in two-year-olds and, I guess, give them some valuable skills in napping. But in a related story, according to Valerie Strauss in WashingtonPost.com, a New York school canceled its annual year-end kindergarten performance last week, quote, because the kids have to keep working so they will be college and career ready. That comes from a letter from the principal at Harley Avenue Primary School in Elwood, New York. Note of the Week magazine, this move is in keeping with recent trends in which early education curricula have become increasingly academic thanks to standardized testing requirements. Rather incredibly, parents tried to fight back and uh, got a petition going to reinstate the show, garnered more than 2,000 signatures, but the school district is standing pat. It's defending the decision, saying the show, quote, requires multiple days away from classroom work, and, quote, is not the best use of the limited time we have with our youngest learners. Mr. McMillan? All right, in our analysis of whether Voyager 1 has or has not left the solar system... We did note a letter to the editor, not to us, but to the editors of New Scientist magazine about the piece from uh, Boulder, Colorado. Brian Ball wrote to say, in the argument over whether Voyager 1 has left the solar system, many different definitions of where that boundary lies were discussed. But to me, the most obvious suggestion was the one disregarded early on, the Oort cloud. Shouldn't the end of the solar system be where the sun's tangible effects, most notably its gravity, are reduced to nothing? It is, after all, called the solar system. Well, we do have to correct Mr. Ball's understanding of gravity. Gravity never goes to nothing. But he's right about the fact that the Oort cloud of comets orbiting our sun is considered to be the, the true end of our solar system by many ways of reckoning. Well, our back-of-the-envelope calculations show that uh, Voyager 1 is something like 57 light hours out from the sun, and the Oort cloud is believed to be about one light year away from our local star. This has taken like 35 years to get that far out. Voyager 1 ain't going to get to the Oort cloud till I don't know, six, 7,000 years from now. So we have to agree with NASA. It's probably not worth keeping the champagne on ice that long. In other news related to rocketry, we have this. Apparently, Canada has a M3M satellite 
Built in Ontario under contract for the Canadian Space Agency, it's supposed to track and monitor marine vessels. Well, but on April 24th, ComDev, the company, announced that the Canadian government has blocked the launch in protest and that the M3M must ride on somebody else's rocket. Like whose? Boy, that'll, that'll show Vladimir Putin, won't it? We're so mad at you that we're going to screw up our ability to track our own ships. This does allow us to segue into, into weasel politicians, however. We love the fact that former President George Herbert Walker Bush, you know, Bush 41, the wimp, was honored a few days ago with a Kennedy, quote, courage, unquote, award for his agreeing during the presidential term to raise taxes to confront a spiraling deficit. And what has to be a bit of a tongue-in-cheek award, the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum in Boston honored Bush last Sunday with a John F. Kennedy Profile and Courage Award. Conservatives, of course, denounced Bush for hiking taxes and breaking a key campaign promise. And yes, we're pretty sure Bush was stupid enough to show up for the award. And speaking of Bushes, the Secretary of State for Bush 43, the evil one, that would be Condoleezza Rice, said last Saturday she will not be delivering the commencement address at Rutgers University after protests by some faculty and students over her role in the Iraq War. The school's Board of Governors had voted to pay $35,000 to the former Secretary of State and National Security Advisor under George W. Bush for her appearance at the May 18th ceremony. Rutgers, to its shame, was also planning to bestow Rice with an honorary doctorate. But luckily, some students and faculty had protested, staging sit-ins and saying Rice bore some responsibility for the Iraq War as a member of the Bush administration. Duh! And speaking of nitwit sons of former presidents becoming president, over in Kenya, President Uhuru Kenyatta, son of the first leader of Kenya, Jomo Kenyatta, signed into law a bill last week that legalizes polygamous unions, opening the door for men to marry as many wives as they want. This has long been a tradition in Kenya, but uh, in the past, the second and third marriages required the first wife's consent. This new law does not have that provision. And uh, International News quoted Kenyan lawyer Judy Thongori saying last week that the Marriage Act of 2014 is long overdue and is more and has more positive than negative attributes. She said the number of women a man can marry depends on the traditions of his tribe. Kenya has 42 tribes, and many do not put a cap on the number of wives a man may marry as long as he can afford it. Thungori said previous laws governing marriages and unions were made by the British colonialists before Kenya gained independence in 1963 and did not capture the value systems of the indigenous populations. Well, thank you, President Kenyatta, for doing that. All right, and how about the merger mania on Wall Street with this idea that Pfizer is now putting in a bid to take over AstraZeneca. This would allow it to reincorporate in Britain. I think some comments by Al Lewis writing in the Wall Street Journal are worthy of mention about this. To quote from Lewis, Viagra, Lipitor, Celebrex, Zoloft, and even good old-fashioned Preparation H are as American as cheeseburgers. So is Pfizer, which makes these ubiquitous remedies. But the New York-based pharmaceutical giant is reportedly brewing plans to skip the country via a $106 billion bid for London-based drug maker AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca rejected the bid last Friday, but that's probably not the end of this dance. 
Even if it is, what's important here is Pfizer's objective, to merge the two concerns into a holding company with a UK tax domicile, allowing it to avoid millions of dollars in U.S. taxes. Said Lewis, blame our dysfunctional tax code, which hasn't kept pace with globalization. Why should Pfizer pay higher taxes in America when it can pay lower taxes in Great Britain? Never mind that Pfizer has been gouging America for decades. Not only do Americans pay more for drugs than anyone else in the world, but much of that exorbitant cost is borne by the same federal government that Pfizer would like to artfully tax dodge. Pfizer noted its utter dependence on government programs in its latest annual report filed with regulators. Quote, any significant spending reductions affecting Medicare, Medicaid, or other publicly funded or subsidized health programs could have an adverse impact on our results of operations, said Pfizer. Noted Al Lewis, Pfizer has grown fat on Medicare Part D, the most socialist program ever launched by Republicans. President George W. Bush signed this unwieldy piece of corporate welfare 10 years ago to pay for prescription drugs for seniors. It was unfunded and included no cost containment provisions. We are going deep into debt to pay for it, according to Bruce Bartlett, former White House staffer who served in both the Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush administrations. Medicare Part D added $318 billion to the national debt from its inception through 2012, and will add $852 billion in the 10 years following that. And who gets to profit? Pfizer and its competitors. Disgusting, no? And the most disgusting part about it is that regulators are going to twiddle their thumbs and stand back while <laughs> these uh, behemoths devour one another, making... Uh, the whole industry more of a monopoly than it is already, which is to say, well, something, well, not quite a monopoly, more an, an oligopoly. Sounding off about all this, John Carroll from the online industry bulletin Fierce Biotech noted that neither company is likely to benefit terribly much because neither is dominant in fields where they overlap. He added, there is little hope that pharma mega deals will do much for neglected medicines such as antibiotics, and drugs for tropical diseases. Here's the zinger statement for me out of all this, which is that companies are also shying away from areas like depression. Said Carol, people don't fully understand the biology. There are high failure rates and large placebo effects. Well, we've been telling you about that here at Radio Parallax for quite some time now. And uh, I guess it's nice to know that the top people in the pharmaceutical industry are we're also aware of it. And this might be an excellent time to uh, hear from America's foremost political comic, our good pal, Mr. Will Durst. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few carefully chosen words about how horrible a week it was for old white racists. How bad of a week? Bowling ball dropped on your toe bad. Brazilian soccer stampede bad. Donald Trump testifying at your rent hearing bad. First Clive and Bundy, the Nevada rancher who patriotically refuses to pay grazing rights on government land, stretches 15 minutes of fame a few seconds too long by lecturing a New York Times reporter with, I want to tell you what I know about the Negro. 
What followed was a wonderful performance piece from an 1870s traveling minstrel show, but the grizzled xenophobe denied any ironic context, and his right-wing militia supporters disappeared like dew on the sun. Then, the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers was subject of an anonymous recording which made Mr. Bundy sound like a recipient of the NAACP Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> the revelations forced the NBA to ban Donald Sterling from attending any games or entering any Clipper facility or participating in any business decisions for the Clippers or the NBA for life. He's even prohibited from using the word clippers. So now the Sterling household will only stock nail trimmers in their medicine cabinet for life. Hope the guy lives to be 110. Personally, I don't understand prejudice. If you take the time to get to know someone, you'll discover a thousand reasons to loathe and despise them on an individual basis. Prejudiced people are just plain lazy. Besides, this whole black-white thing is ridiculous. I ain't white. I'm an off-white. I'm beige, tawny, acre, desert stone. And no one's really black. If they were really black, they'd be absorbing light. We keep bumping into each other. Hell, the NBA Finals would be a blur. And there's David Lee and a bunch of other guys. I have no idea what's... It's all pitch in. Yes. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Thank you, Will. It's time now for a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. When we come back, we're going to have, we hope, a third interesting chat with noted science author Sam Keen. Stick around. Just your foolish pride. 